Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and in today's episode, we're talking about parenting, and more specifically, parenting teenagers. Parenting is hard. We know that. As parents, we love our kids deeply and we long to see them flourish and thrive, but knowing how to help them do that often feels like a complete mystery. And then on top of that, there's the pressure we sometimes put on ourselves as leaders in the church to be setting an example in how we raise our kids. Well, whether you're in the middle of raising teens yourself, preparing to do so in the future, or simply want to be able to come alongside other parents in your church to help and encourage them, you will benefit from this conversation. Because in this episode, Elizabeth Faulkner sat down with Mark Gregston, co-founder of Heartlight Ministries and Parenting Today's Teens, to talk about what the most important thing to know is about parenting teenagers. As a parent of teens myself, I was so encouraged by what Mark had to say, and I trust you will be too. So let's get to it. Here's Elizabeth's conversation with Mark Gregson. Today we're talking about parenting. And as pastors and ministry leaders, we long to raise our kids to love Jesus and live for him. We also desire to be an example to those we lead, and we feel the pressure of modeling that well. Mm. I know that I have felt that along the way. And after all, it's right there in the qualifications uh, for being in ministry in 1 Timothy 3 that you must manage your family well and see that your children obey and give proper respect. It feels almost Mm. like a job qualification to have the perfect family who always listen and obey. And so the tensions of this are real and the path forward in parenting and discipling our kids well is not usually simple or clear. And because I have three teens and have worked for many years with children and families in the church, uh, this topic is of particular interest to me. And one person I've looked up to and gleaned wisdom Mm. from over the years is Mark Gregston. And so I'm pretty excited uh, to have Mark here with me today to talk about parenting and more specifically parenting teens, especially uh, as pastors and ministry leaders. So welcome, Mark. I'm so glad to have you here. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so good to be on with you. I mean, and, and you said, you said something that that there's, you know, the demand to be perfect families. And I go, there is a perfect family. Are you serious? I haven't met one yet, you know? And so, I mean, I think everybody wrestles a little bit with parenting. And if you're not wrestling, you're probably not doing a good job of parenting, you know, and and trying to figure this thing out day by day. So that becomes important. It does. It does. So, you know, all of us are trying to probably reach an ideal that's not even reachable. So I think that's why we're having this conversation today. And so excited to hear your perspective. And just so all our audience knows, like all our listeners know, um, you should, if you get a chance, Mark has the coolest mustache around. And so just want to say that to start and love your mustache. And um, I also he pointed out his background that I didn't notice before. And he's got a lot of really cool guns in the background. So if you're just listening, 
maybe go to our the YouTube version of this and have a look at those cool guns in the background. So, so I know you some go. of you will be fascinated by that. Well, most yeah. of them are just guns. They're Western rifles. And, and uh, oh, okay. I mean, if you can see me, you can see that I got this letter not long ago. It said, Dear Mark, please send us back our mustache signed 1880. And so oh. I know it's dated, you know, and, <laughs> and I know that I know that my hairstyle is like a billion years old, but you know what? I've just gotten to the point where I really don't care. And, yes. um, and so it, it doesn't matter. And, and, and so the guns are just, it's just a collection of, of Western rifles. I've always been kind of a Western guy. And if you can yeah. see over on another side, you'll see cowboy hats and, uh, and stuff. Yeah. And so I'm a, I'm a true Texan with too many horses. And, and, uh, I just, I've just loved that old Western lifestyle. And, and, uh, so it's been kind of cool. Very cool. Well, I think that's a really good thing to know about you. And just to let our uh, listeners know a little more about you and Mark, we want to hear from you too. Um, just uh, some of who Mark is, you heard it, he's from Texas. Mm. So uh, mm. that's pretty cool. Um, and him and his wife, Jan, are co-founders of Heartlight Ministries and Parenting Today's Teens. Um, he's the executive director of Heartlight, which is a residential counseling center uh, for teens in cri crisis, which is located in uh, Hallsville, Texas. And um, Heartlight's been, uh, mm. it's become known all over North America really for its residential counseling uh, center and kind of become the place to be when teens are mm. really struggling. And when kind of, I, I love how this is written in your bio, when hope is diminishing. Yeah, because I think I think we've met those families before. And you also host a radio program. You've written many books and articles about parenting teens. And a lot of that information is going to be in our show notes, mm. just so everybody knows. And really, you have 45, more than 45 years experience. So it's crazy. Yeah, you know, we are just so excited to hear from you and to whatever wisdom you can bring to us today we're just we want to just take it all in cool. uh, mark so what else what cool. else can you tell us about yourself because i mean that's your your standard bio which is important but we want to know a little bit more about you yeah you know i i, I would tell you this that that um i always tell people this that that uh know that that my perspective is is, is probably a little bit different and um mm. and it's different because most people know that I was the Oklahoma Bible quiz champ of 1969, and and I swam competitively for years. And and uh, and when I went off to school um, to swim, I quit um, after three days. Went to another school and quit, and then came to a school and ended up uh, after a year of attending Tulsa University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Married my childhood sweetheart. Our first date was a. Uh, when this Christian band came through Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, when we were in the ninth grade, it was a band called Led Zeppelin. And, oh. uh, and so, so, so that's where it started. And, and, you know, it was interesting to me that, that my degrees in real estate investments and finance, but yet I've always had this heart for kids. And, and it was a group called Young Life, just an outreach to kids that said, we lead a Young Life club. And I said, well, I'd love to. And so within two weeks after we started leading this club, when I was 19 years old, a man walked up to me, a dad of one of the kids and said, I'm struggling with my child. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And I'm going, I let him come live with me. And that's how it really started. So I've always yeah. had kids live with us. 
then Jane and I got married, then girls would come live with us. And, and then a church said, Hey, why don't you come on our staff? And so I was on the staff at the church for seven years, all the while having kids live with us. Yeah. And, and then I went to a, a Christian sports camp in Missouri and uh, called Camp Canicuck and, and was there for a number of years as a young life area director, yeah. where I really got to hone in on a little bit of just this relational model. And I, and I kept going, I, you know, what I hate is that, is that we have kids that, that get lost and they just get lost. And, and in the midst of getting lost, when parents don't know what to do, then they send them to, you know, schools that are like military camps or wilderness camps, or let's beat up your child camps, or let's make them miserable. And I'm going, these kids don't deserve that. They're, they're struggling through different things in their life. They need some help. They need somebody to love on them and engage with them. And, and they need to live in a great place. So we, we left and moved back to Texas and created a place called Heartlight. And so I now live with 60 high school kids. They come from all over the country, all over Canada. I mean, all over North America, other countries as well. They're wonderful kids, but they're making poor choices. They have uh, experience trauma or difficulty or hardship in their life. Mm. And the parents are saying, I don't know what to do. Mm. And I'm fearful that my child's not going to be around in a few months if we don't do something. Mm. So those are the kids that live with us. They're wonderful kids. But what I've learned from those kids 15 years ago, when I turned 50, somebody said, you need to be on the radio, you need to start writing books. And I, and I hated those ideas. I, I mean, I don't even read books. And, and, uh, <laughs> and they go, well, you need to be doing the, you know, and, and so I started that process. And so now I spend a couple hundred nights on the road, uh, traveling, doing seminars and conferences, trying to keep people from ever having to send their child to come live with us. And, um, and it's because, and here's the difference that I mentioned, is because I'm from a very practical, um, oriented background. How do, we, how do you engage things that work and actually bring about a different result than the path that you're on so that you can continue to engage with your child, not just right now, but so that you have a, a, a wonderful relationship when they're in their 20s and when they start having kids and when they're married and, and you continue on that relationship. And so it's not just solving a behavioral problem, because if you have a if you have a discipline problem, you have a relationship problem. And so that's where I always go to families and say, the key thing here is making sure that you maintain the relationship, regardless, regardless of what your child is doing. I mean, regardless, I mean, what you can, you know, it's just as much in Canada as it is in the US and the craziness of the culture, this contrary culture that works against us in so many different ways, we hear it. If you maintain the relationship with your child, even when they're messing up the most and doing all the things you never wanted them to do, you maintain the relationship and that will have a greater witness because of your witness while you engage with them and be an example of what it is to love somebody just like God loves us. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's a, so I'm, I'm a little bit different in that. I, I don't have a psychology degree. I don't have a counseling degree, even though I counsel you know, just a ton of people. And, and, but it's, it's more from the practical aspect of how to engage and how to develop a deeper relationship, hoping that that relationship will carry kids through uh, to their next stage of life, which will be a, a great one if parents will make those changes and get ready for that. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I really noticed. And I think probably what helped me the most when I first started kind of mm. engaging with some of your books and articles, I was working in a church at the time with children and families and, 
and my kids were entering the teenage years. And I remember one of the key things, and I think that just came through all of what you just said, Mark, was that whole relationship that that was the key to being successful in the teen years is having those good, having a good relationship. And it was all, and what kind of stuck out to me maybe is it was all about connection, you know, all about how do you connect with that particular kid? And oh, I think we're going to get into that a little bit more. So I think you kind of hinted on that, but just to (laughs) kind of hinted on something there, but to get us started, like if you're, if you had like, and maybe you've already done this, but you had two minutes and you were to give us your number one tip for parent, like number one parenting advice. So that, you know, if if our listeners, you know, don't listen to any more, but you want them to hear this, what would be kind of your number one parenting advice? Yeah. You you know, I give to our leaders. Yeah. 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 You know, the first, the first thing is maintain the relationship. Yeah. Maintain your relationship with them. You know, Mm. and I think that's important. We were all created to be relational. God created us that way. We're herd animals, uh, like horses. Horses (laughs) are all herd animals. They love to clump together. They're not these... Uh, isolationists. They're not ones that that kind of operate on their own. They're, they're not an island out in the middle of nowhere that doesn't interact with anybody. They are relational people. And, and if they are relational, then it's important for me to have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. It's not just important for me to point them to a relationship with Christ. It's important for me to have that relationship because therein lies the opportunity for them to see maybe the word of God fleshed out as an example that leads them in some way, rather than always pushing them to go do something else. And I know that that a lot of church leaders will, will you know, are, are hearing exactly what I'm saying. We can have the greatest worship experience for our kids, the greatest worship experience. And, and we know that the churches now have the greatest worship experiences for kids. And so we are strengthening their relationship with the Lord. I mean, it, God inhabits the praise of his people is what scripture tells us. He doesn't. But let me tell you something. If, if they don't have a relationship with somebody in the church, then they will not remain in the church. I mean, and, and so they won't continue to grow. And we all know that 80, 85% of kids are leaving the church upon graduation from high school. They come back, you know, when they're 29, 30 years old after they have kids, but they basically take a hiatus. Well, the thing is, it's because they, they have that relationship with the Lord. So they're not connected with the church and, and they need to be connected. I, they, and you, you're connected through relationships. But here's the problem is that if we're not connected that way, kids sure aren't connecting with one another either. I mean, it's, it's because of these things called cell phones that they don't connect. They, they communicate, but they don't connect. And, and they don't because they don't have the eye-to-eye visual. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to express their feelings. They, they don't have the relationship that encourages and, and, and just as iron sharpens iron that allows them to reflect on things in their life and say, I don't need to be doing that. I need to grow up. And, and, and that's why the American Medical Association, the American Journal of Adolescent Psychiatry has increased the age of adolescence stage 27. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. because they don't have the relationships. And so I, that's what I tell parents all the time. If, if you have a discipline problem, you've got a relationship problem. 
you need to solve the relationship problem. If you're in the church and, mm-hmm. and your kids aren't attending your church and they don't want to participate in, I mean, you, you have like a billion seventh graders. Is, is that what, is that what y'all call it in Canada? Seventh graders, middle schoolers, or yeah, something like that, or preteens yeah. or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is. And, and so you yeah. have a million of them then. And then by the time they graduate from high school, you have four. I mean, yeah. the attrition rate is just absolutely amazing. And it all has to do with relationships. I mean, sometimes I think that we could do better as a church sometimes. I'm not saying eliminate the worship opportunity, but engage in in activities that promote the relationship. And we've all seen that with mission trips and everything else. Those mission trips aren't about the people you're going to go help. It is about building unity and relationships within a group that brings them together in a way where they can see the word of God lived out. They can see examples that they don't see anywhere else now. They can connect with people that they're not connecting with anybody else. They get off of this treadmill of fake book and TikTok and everything else. And that, that is, that is, is so fake. It's unbelievable. And it's not genuine, but when they relate with one another, now they have this genuineness, this authenticity, just how God would be with us in allowing a relationship to happen. And so I, so this, boy, this is a long answer to a short question, but the number one tip yeah. is the relationship is the most important thing. Second thing I would say it easily, yeah. learn to listen, learn mm-hmm. to listen. Yeah. They, they're not here to listen to you. Uh, they're now adolescents. Now it's your turn to listen to them. And mm-hmm. so don't tell them what you think they need to know. Let them tell you what they need to know. And, and I, and I think we've all got to answer that question, especially as believers that, Mm. that what are we missing? That's causing kids to leave the church and give up their faith. What are we missing? That's, that's Mm. pushing them out. And, and, you know, sometimes we get engaged in a way of just sharing our opinion all the time, you know, and we do it in every format there. Nobody wants your opinion. You know, I, I mean, opinions are like, armpits, you know, everybody has two of them and they both stink, you know, and, and, and I, and I'm just going, it's, they don't want that. They want perspective. That's why they, that's why they like gray hair. That's why they like somebody to say, here's a perspective of whatever the issue is and how it plays out over history, over a period of time. And Hmm. what I've observed and what I've reflected on and what I've experienced, I think those are the things that that young people are looking for that they're not getting in a typical coaching relationship or a teacher relationship, which teaching is the most admirable profession there is. Mm. But all these, all these professions are so disconnected because they're all about performance now and what they look like rather than figuring out, I need to be engaged with kids to know their heartbeat and more concerned about the condition of their heart than the condition of their room and whether they made their bed or not. Mm. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? We have kids committing suicide oh, right and left. 15 yeah. year old boys. It's a second highest grouping of mm. suicides. 15 year old girls suicides at a 75 year high. Mm. And I'm going who cares how they make their bed or whether they make it or not? I mean, we've got to do something to relieve the stress and, and give that opportunity for relationships to happen because if they're created to be relational and they can't find those relationships because of the way they communicate through Mm -hmm. cell phones and all the apps and everything, 
then they are a frustrated group of kids mm -hmm. that where depression and anxiety runs rampant. And yeah. it's because of the relational or the non-relational nature of their culture. And so that's how we need to engage differently is to pursue them in a relational way that listens and says, I want to be with you, uh, mm -hmm. not just preach at you, just not talk at you or mm -hmm. all those things, but to engage in a different way. So when you think about that practically, right? Because you mentioned some, there's so many, there's so many cultural challenges yeah. to build, to building those relationships with our kids. There's so many, you know, we could talk about, you know, you yeah. mentioned a couple of them already. It feels like, it feels like our culture is like pulling families apart from that ability to connect. So how, yeah. how do you suggest like practically, how do you build, yeah. how do you build relationships with teens when they're like pulling away without like coming down and taking away all their cell phones and locking yeah. them in the house? And, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like going all uh, authority crazy. How yeah. do you actually do that practically? Well, you know, God, that's a wonderful question. And, and, and I, I have to ask the question, why are kids more interested in their cell phone than they're interested in me? Why do they like playing a yeah. game rather than engaging with me? Why would they rather be talking to other people rather than talking to me? And, and I, I think that's the first place, you know, I, I think that's the first place that, that you've got to start. You've got to ask yourself the question, what is it about me that is keeping a child, whether it be in my church, whether it be in my flock, whether it be in my neighborhood. Do you guys call them neighborhoods in Canada? Oh, yeah, sure, okay, yeah. well, that's good. Well, I don't know what you guys yeah. have up there. You know, I'm not, <laughs> we have no, but I, there you go. But I mean, what's keeping them from engaging with me? And, and the image that gets portrayed is that, is that they're uh, authoritative, that they're judgmental, that they demand perfection. And those are three things that are just going to push kids away. I mean, and so, so maybe they perceive us because they see other parents or they hear about other people that it's just negative, 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 and that's all they hear. And then maybe as a parent, what I've done is, is bought the idea because everybody's expressing themselves that that's what I'm supposed to be doing, expressing myself. Mm. Where scripture would say this, even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut, that a fool delights in airing his opinion. Mm. Nobody wants your opinion. And so I tell moms all the time, hey, mom, do this, do this. Quit talking so much. Yeah. Quit, just quit talking so much. And, yeah. and, and here's why. If you're on Facebook like I am, you know, and, and we'll go through and I, I'm, I'm sitting there reading about stuff. I don't even know who these people are. And I'm, and I'm interested in their life and what they're doing. I'm going, what, how come I'm getting consumed? And scripture says it's like tiny morsels that are just feeding I don't know what it's feeding, but I'm just going, I, I don't know why I'm consumed, but I, but, or I watch a TV program. That's just nothing but this, that all the time. And it drives me crazy. And I eventually have just have to turn it off mm -hmm. because I am bombarded with information. Well, mom, this is what's happening when your child is bombarded with information. And when you and I grew up, Elizabeth, information doubled every 13 years. Yeah. It, I mean, it, the codified information doubled every 13 years. It's currently doubling every hour and a half. Yeah. That's the amount of information that's bombarding our kids. When I grew up, mm -hmm. there were three channels on the television set. 
You know, mm. now I have 900 channels and I have so many different ways. There was, there was two ways to get music. Now there's hundreds of ways. It's a bombardment of information. And so that's what's changed in the culture. And so what that means is, is when that child comes home, if all mom does is just serve up a plate of more information, they don't need it anymore. Mm. And they don't need it because they've got this, their cell phone, which has the everything I want to know on it, has all the information. They are drowning in information and they are starving for wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and every man that's listening to this knows this to be true. If a child turns mom off because all she's doing is sharing information, every man knows, every man that's listening to this right now knows that that woman possesses more wisdom than all the women watching this podcast or all the men watching this podcast mm. right now. <laughs> and if, if the child shuts off mom, they will miss out on the opportunity to gain some of the best wisdom they can ever get mm. that they so desperately need. And so that's why I tell moms, when you are quiet, you will draw kids toward you. And that's what you want. Instead of you pursuing them all the time, give them the opportunity to pursue you and learn how to do that. Be quiet, draw back and let them come to you. And the first thing they're going to say is, hey, mom, um, what's wrong? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice for a child to come to you sometime rather than you go to them all the time going, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Yeah. It's interesting because my husband will often give me the look, you know, to stop talking and, you know, not even knowing, you know, as a mom, not even knowing that I'm doing that, that I'm trying to tell them what to do and download all my wisdom in one, one supper time conversation. And he'll give me the look (laughs) like Elizabeth, stop talking. Yeah. And he'll ask a question and get them talking and it changes the whole tone yeah. And feeling of just that one conversation. So it's just so interesting yeah. to hear you say that. Well, it, it's yeah. what you've gotten used to. I mean, you've gotten used to it and it worked when they were in a teaching model, which yeah. is that one age is one through 12, because they want you to talk. They want you to, they, they, they want lecture. Well, now they're 12 to 19, 20 years old. They don't want lecture anymore. It doesn't work. They want discussion. They, they don't want just bombardment of information. They want to know some wisdom. And to every mom listening, I would tell you this, you possess that. You possess that wisdom a lot more than the men do. And now men on the other side, because every woman out there is looking at their their guy across the table going, you need to quit trying to fix the kids all the time. Men are just amazing at, let's fix everything. Let's just, I can fix everything in a 15 minute conversation. And so they, so a, a child comes and says, Hey, I'm struggling with this. And they try to fix it in 15 minutes. You know what they need to do is just hush. Quit trying to fix them. Because when you tell a child that you're trying to fix them, what you're doing is reminding them that they're broken. You're reminding them that they don't have it together. You're reminding them that you can fix everything and which you can't. Hmm. And it may be that it's allowing them just to become undone. I mean, they live in a perfection-driven world that is increasing levels of anxiety and depression through the roof. And the more imperfect that we can allow our kids to be at home, undone, let their hair down. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to say it in Canadian. I don't know what you would do. You know, when, when their kerfuffles get so big that they just need to blow up and express, let them, let them know that it's okay to not be perfect. 
I mean, people don't like me because I write books and are on the radio or they like me because maybe I share that my wife was sexually abused for years, that my son had an affair, that my daughter wrestled with an eating disorder mm. after she got out of high school, that I can't breathe out of the left side of my face because the way that I was raised. It's mm. the imperfect that, that Jane and I went through counseling. And, well, mm. because she was messed up. No, not really. But I mean, <laughs> but I go, there's, there's yeah. something about when we share our imperfections that gives permission for somebody else to be imperfect. And we know that not everybody's perfect. So why expect that? It's create it. Yeah. Just create the environment where it can be different. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, if, if you talk about leadership, that there's a whole thing right now about talking about authenticity in yeah. leadership and, and self-awareness, but it seems like when it comes to f our families and, and parenting, that's, uh, that's more difficult it is be yeah real so yeah it is yeah. but but our kids our kids view of us changes a little bit too i mean because they think yeah. we are perfect and because yeah. they think we are perfect and they give us coffee mugs and t-shirts to say world's greatest mom and world's greatest dad <laughs> world's greatest grandpa you know i mean they give you all those things and so you think hey i got this i'm good at this mm -hmm. i'm really good and then they move from concrete thinking to abstract thinking, and they begin to see things they haven't seen before, and they start to see the imperfections. Well, they're also realizing that, that their world is imperfect also. What used to be perfect, now it's not. Mm -hmm. And so they come home, and if mom and dad are demanding perfection, then it'll push that child away because nobody likes being around perfect people. You know, and so it, it's sharing the imperfections and, and it's, it's not saying that, you know, you're going to go and share everything with them. It's, but I'm, I, I long for the opportunity for a kid to come to me and say, Hey, Mark, um, did you smoke pot when you were in high school? Because hmm. I know that they're asking me for some wisdom. They're not asking me for more information. And I don't tell them, well, your frontal cortex isn't developed. That's not going to get anywhere. Or when a young lady goes to mom and says, hey, um, mom, did you have sex before you got married? There's your opportunity. And you're waiting for those opportunities to share the wisdom that you've gathered through your life, by what you've observed, what you've reflected on and what you've experienced so that you can impart to them wisdom, not just more information. And my concern is that kids are looking at scripture as just another piece of information. And what I want to do more than anything else is make that scripture come alive. And it's not going to be by me quoting it all the time, you know, and saying, well, now I'd like to quote this one to you. You know, it's by living it out and sharing that through a life on life existence. And so I share not only the gospel, but my life as well, because they had become very dear. And so my job is to share my life, but to make sure that I'm blameless make sure that I'm walking in a manner that's worthy of God. And I'm not demanding they do something that I'm not doing, or that I blemish the example that I put before them and ruin the opportunity. I mean, sometimes kids will reject the gospel just because one person violated them in some way, and they'll never hear it again. Mm -hmm. And so your life before them is, is so full of, of wisdom. You have it, you just haven't tapped into it. Uh, it's like me telling people, you can write a book. And, and they go, no, I can't. And I go, look, look, look. I wasn't even in the top 85% of my high school graduating class. 
I flunked out of my first semester. So I've written 20 some books. Everybody has it in them. You have the stories. You just have to spend time looking at what those are and shift from sharing information to now sharing the wisdom that you've gained in life, because that's what your kids want more than anything else. Help me live in this culture that is crazy and help me flesh out the very things that you've taught me. That's what they want. How does the word become flesh and dwell among the high school that I go to? Mm. And, I, and I think that's where parents and grandparents have an amazing opportunity to engage their kids in such a way, their grandkids in such a way that brings scripture alive. So they see that the goodness and the timeless truth that is there that they can embrace and continue to hold for the rest of their life. Yeah, I know one of the little kind of taglines that I sometimes use is you got to live it out and then talk it out. So yeah. if you don't, if you're not living it out, your words are just, you're, they're nothing. They're not, they're not going to mean anything yeah. unless you're really truly living it out. And, it, and I think it's interesting because um, a lot of, I don't know, a lot of talk when we're talking about discipling people, for example, mm -hmm. in the church, we talk about this life on life, right? In order to help people grow in the relationship with yeah. Jesus, they're going to have to kind of live life on life with people. And I was thinking about this in terms of parenting, right? You are every day life on life. Yeah. And so um, the way that you live, they see all your, you know, whether whatever you say they see you living it and that's yeah. the example that really matters so if you want to be an example to your kids and be able to share wisdom you do have to first live it out yeah um, yeah, yeah you know and i and i think there's i think there's a part of this that that becomes even more important and i i don't want to be blasphemous and and but i would tell every parent that the most important relationship that your child can have during their adolescent years is with you. Mm -hmm. And some people go, no, no, it's a relationship with Christ. And I go, no, it's not. It's mm -hmm. that will happen because of you. I mean, it will happen because you've formed a relationship with your child that they see Christ in you mm -hmm. and that's what they long for. And so it's a win-win deal. Sometimes kids can, can smell if you're trying to sell them something. You know, if, yeah. if, if I'm parenting just because somebody told me I've got to share the gospel with them, and if I don't, then I'm a bad parent, then I'm really parenting my kids out of my own need, not based upon their need. And when I do that, they can smell that. They know what that smells like, and they go, you're using me. And I think sometimes we get this idea that if I don't say the right thing or do the right thing, you know, I, I would tell you, you are the right thing. It's not about what you do. It's who you are. You don't have to try to be spiritual. You are spiritual. You don't have to be, you know, have to do all these things. You have to be these things. And, and I don't want to sound like, you know, Yoda on, on Star Wars. And, you know, I, but I go, there is a depth to it that sometimes we don't trust the word of God in our own lives that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth will speak, that it will come forth in the engagement. The tendency is we just, we're so, we're so darn uh, intense about sharing our opinion that we feel like that's where somebody's going to feel, feel uh, or give us a sense of value. Mm. No, it's not. It's when we share wisdom, when we share perspective, it's when we listen, mm. 
listen and don't feel like we have to correct everybody all the time. That's what draws them to us so that they're asking me questions rather than me always asking them questions. Because I, you know, I want them to come to me. Uh, I mean, Jesus says it sometimes, let the children come to me. I know. There's something spiritual about that rather than thinking I got to go to them all the time. Yeah. Uh, I don't it's, think such so. a, it's such a switch, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. a really tough uh, switch, I think, for, for parents to be able to do that, right? To switch from kind of going, you know, trying to control things or trying to direct things to letting, yeah. letting, uh, the kids kind of yeah. do that for themselves and initiate for that for themselves. So, I mean, I think you've kind of hit, I really think you've hit <laughs> the nail on the head, right? That that relationship is most important. I know one kind of practical example that Jason, my husband and I yeah. did when they started being teenagers is that we spent more money on burgers. We yeah. just decided that we found out that when we uh, took our kids out for a burger, they talked. Yeah. And so we just started going out for more burgers. And where, where do you guys go? Tim Hortons or Culver's? Oh, yeah. Well, or, we go to yeah. Tim Hortons, you know, it would, what it's not just burgers, like whatever they <laughs> yeah. want. Like one kid wants something from Tim Hortons, another kid. I remember yeah. one, I'll just tell a funny story. My, I'm like, I wanted to connect with my oldest son. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's go to Starbucks because that's what I like. Yeah. And we went to Starbucks and we didn't, nothing, no yeah. conversation, no nothing. I just tried to talk at him like you were describing. Yeah. And then he said, I really wish we could have gone to McDonald's mom. And I, something what a great story. switched. I had, I'm like, Oh, I have to stop doing what I want to do and figure out what's going to connect with them. Bingo, bingo. Yeah. yeah so I mean, do you have anything I, else to add about that? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, but, but I think that's a realization that it's so important and, and it, and it really, it, it helps you understand that it, it used to work that way that if you went to Starbucks, then they would get something and they would appease you, but you know, no, it's not about you anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about them. And, and just as Paul said, for, I have no one that looks after the interest of others. They're all pursuing their own selfish pursuits that that in one sense we want our kids to revolve around us yeah. you know and and we're at the throne and we let them revolve around us rather than going you know what my job it has been to teach them but not my job now is to train them and so everything I do, so I'm going to let them make more decisions. I'm going to let them assume responsibility for things. I'm going to give them more freedom. I'm going to learn that it's okay to lighten up a little bit. I would tell every Christian family this, lighten up. When was the last time you laughed? I mean, laughed hard and had a blast sitting around the dinner table because the most spiritual thing that you can do may be laughter. I mean, that you show the joy that you have in your life and you can laugh about it rather than feeling like we've always got to share the next scriptural truth. And I'm going, you don't, you're already sharing it by your, by your lifestyle, by the way you engage with people. They don't care about your words anymore. That works well. Words work really well in a teaching model, but in a, in a training model, it's all about your actions. And we all know that. Yeah. We all know that. You, that your actions speak louder than words. Yeah. You know, it's not what you say, it's what you do. You know, when we say, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking so loud. Mm -hmm. It's your actions. And, and, and sometimes we feel like we're just not good enough 
that that our example is not good enough to be a reflection of God's love to our kids. And I go, yes, it is. Yes, it is. They are watching how you treat the waitress or the waiter, how you treat your neighbor, how you treat people in the church, what you say behind people's back. What happens when you go through getting fired from a job or have an argument with your spouse or you're disciplining one child and dealing with that and, and wrestling with it, or you're in conflict with it. They are looking at that and watching you, and they will see your relationship with Christ come through in the way that you engage, when you have difficult decisions to make, when you're challenged by things, when, you, when somebody dies within your family, when you're going through health issues, they're watching you because that's how they learn now. It's not so much about teaching, it's about training and giving them the opportunity to assume that responsibility for their life and say, it's their turn to learn, not us to teach all the time. Right. So what about when, and I know I've had lots of people say this to me, you know, I've done, I feel like I've done everything right as a parent, hmm. you know, I've built that relationship. I've been there. I've, you know, things were good when they were younger and I yeah. thought everything was going to be smooth and yeah. we weren't going to have any problems. And, um, you know, people are watching me as a church leader. And now my kid is going off the rails. They're rebelling, yeah, yeah. things at home are rocky and they're not, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> you know I what do. I'm talking about. Yeah. First of all, maybe first, if, what are some signs to watch for that things well, are going off? off yeah, the yeah. You know, and, and we use the word rebel a little bit. You know, sometimes yeah. it, it's funny to me, we've had over 3000 kids live with us. I mean, throughout the years. And, and I, I've only met maybe four or five kids that are truly rebellious, but mm -hmm. I've met, you know, thousands of kids that have been become lost. And, and I think there's, there's something about they get lost in a culture that, or they get lost because of some action of somebody else, or they become a victim of something and they get lost. But, but if all behavior is goal oriented, then the behavior that you see is the visible expression of the invisible issues that are going on in their life. Mm -hmm. And the presumption is I just want to control their behavior. And I go, that's not the issue. And so it, it is saying somewhere along the line that, that, that I want to help them and, and, and engage with them differently because I understand that, that they're truly not being rebellious. What you're seeing is a sign of a kid getting lost. And that lostness may look like they begin to hate things they once loved and they begin to love things they once hated. They can't get out of bed. Their grades go down. They have a change of friends. They, they disengage, they isolate a lot more. They're consumed with finding, you know, uh, uh, relief or rest from something other than what they did. You don't hear them laughing anymore. They don't talk anymore. You see these angry outbursts. I mean, those are all signs that a child is going through something different. And it, what it means is you can't just pile on your old style of parenting, thinking that it's going to work. And this is the only time where I tell parents they're wrong. If you think that the tools that 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 worked for you during the preteen years are going to work during the teen years, you are wrong. 
you've got to put some new tools in your parenting toolbox. And I would say that to grandparents too. I mean, I, I just wrote a, a, a grandparenting book and, and the whole intent of it is saying, grandparents, you have a, you have a whole new world to, to deal with now. And God's keeping you around, not so that you buy an RV and drive south to Arizona and play shuffleboard the rest of your life. I mean, <laughs> He, he went, he's keeping you around because this generation of teens needs wisdom. They need gray hair. They need some perspective to help them get through life. And, and God's called you to do that. And so it's just a book of saying, how do you, how do we help grandparents engage in such a way that offers something? And so when you begin to see the rebellion, uh, you know, it, 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 it really is a child getting lost. And so if, if you've once been lost, and we all sing about it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. If you forget that you were lost, then you will become judgmental. And so it means this, if you're judgmental, then you have forgotten that you were once lost. And so if you're lost, then how do you move toward a child? And it may be by going to them and engaging with them in such a way going, I have been exactly where you are. And that's where you start. I'm not as perfect as you think I am. There's some things you need to know about me. I've made some mistakes in my life. I, I, I want you to hear something from me, and I don't want you to hear from anybody else after I'm gone. Um, your mom or your grandma and I just, you know, we didn't always get along. There's some things that I did that I'm not proud of. Now, those are all engagements that really share with a kid or a grandkid that I'm not perfect, you know, um, and, but I am redeemed. And I want you to know that regardless of what you go through, there is redemption on the other side of this. Now, when I say that, that sounds differently than being judgmental and, you know, doing this and saying, well, you know, and have to go after, them. you're never going to solve anything that way anymore. It used to work, doesn't work now. And, but it just means that, that when I see that you're dealing with somebody that's lost, that wants to find their way, not somebody who's fighting you and doesn't want to find their way. They're, they're trying to figure out how to get out of the hole they've gotten themselves into. Hmm. And they're hoping that you'll crawl in the hole with them and help them get out. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I, cause I think what we struggle with a bit is being really reactive. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so how, I mean, maybe you have a story of, parents who've gone from, I don't know, being reactive to everything and, yeah. and, and, and gone to changing their style and being proactive. Like, do you have an example of that, of how, because oh. I, I think yeah. that's really hard for parents to do. It is. Yeah. We probably have about 3000 of them. I, you know, sure I, you I, <laughs> I, I think when parents begin to realize that their child really wants a relationship with them and doesn't know how to get there because they're not trained in relationships anymore. <clears throat> and that their old style of parenting can't work anymore, mm -hmm. that they've got to add some new tools to that parenting toolbox. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to be genuine and real. Mm -hmm. It's okay to share your feelings, quit sharing your opinion all the time. I mean, I think when you begin to realize the impact of, of those styles of relating, that, and you begin to change those, that that changes the atmosphere of your home. Now, I've, I've never changed a child in my life. I've, I've never, I never. Somebody goes, well, you've changed a lot of kids. No, we haven't, not one. Mm -hmm. What we've done is create an atmosphere for change to happen. 
And so, you know, because kids are created with this, mm -hmm. this desire for relationships and, and a desire, I, I, I've never met a kid that says, you know, when I'm 30 years old, I'd love to hate my parents. You know, I, I'd really love to be when I'm 24, I'd really like to be screwed up. You know, I, that's what I really want. Yeah. You know, I'd really like to marry the wrong person. You know, I'd, I'd really like to ruin my kids, you know, mm -hmm. when I get married and have kids. I've never heard a kid say that. And so if that's not there, I mean, and, and that's not their longing, then there's a frustration with not having the tools to get to where they want to go. And discipline is helping the child get to where they want to go and keeping them from where they don't want to end up. It's not about me anymore. Because it used to be that I'd, there'd be punishment. Now it's discipline. Let me help you. Let me become an ally rather than an enemy so that I can walk alongside you and guide and direct you as you walk along this path and deal with all the issues of gender confusion and homosexuality and, and pot. And I mean, look at the craziness that kids have to deal with today. Well, you know, I, I want to be right there alongside them. I, I, you know, I had a young lady tell me, well, Mark, you know that I'm gay. And I go, really? Me too. Me too. And I was joking with her, but yeah. I wanted to know that, that I, I'm okay to disarm that in you, sweetheart. She goes, well, I've always had an interest in girls. And I said, me too, me too. You know, and I'm going, so I'm joking with her to hopefully bring her to a point where we can have a discussion mm -hmm. and engage so I can help her in some way. And, and her comment was, hey, if I got married, if I got married, if I married a girl, would you come to my wedding? And I said, sure, I would. And she goes, really? I go, yeah, yeah, I would. Well, why would you? Because I love you. That's why. You know, I just, I love you. She goes, would you perform the wedding? I said, absolutely not. Hmm. And she goes, well, why? I said, because I believe that a marriage is between a man and a woman. Hmm. And I go, sweetheart, you and I can think differently. We can believe differently and still have a wonderful relationship. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, we've gotten this idea that if somebody doesn't believe the way we do, then we got to hate them. I mean, that's the only way we deal with them. And I go, that's, that's so unchristlike that, mm -hmm. that, you know, Jesus didn't, I mean, he associated with everybody, but he didn't change his stance on one thing, mm -hmm. but he engaged with everybody. And if you don't engage, you'll never have the opportunity to offer that, that, that drink of living water where they'll never thirst again. So, so I'm big into relationships and, yeah. and so, and so if they hate me, I really don't care if they love me. That's wonderful. If they, yeah. die, you know, and it's not that I'm offensive. It's not that I'm overly powerful. I'm really kind of a quiet guy, mm -hmm. but I, but I want them to know that, that there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. And when a kid begins to understand that, they realize that it's not performance-based and I'm not demanding perfection. I'm really there to help them get to a better spot. And that's when they engage differently. And so now here I am, 66 years old. I have more kids coming to me wanting to spend time than I did when I was 21 years old, leading a young life club or as a youth minister at a yeah. church. Yeah. And it's because they're looking for something that grandparents and parents can offer uh, that they're not getting anywhere else. And so that's where I tell parents, highlight on that. Forget about all this other stuff. It doesn't matter. So much stuff, got to pick the hill to die on. I mean, and, and there's so much stuff, it's just not the hill to die on. So I just love two things that you said there, Mark. One, 
create an atmosphere for relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so many things. There's so much creativity and things we can do to create that atmosphere. And the other thing you said is there, and I know this is prevalent through everything that you do, mm. is that there that idea that there's nothing that you do that I can, I'm gonna say this wrong. Tell us again. Can you well, say there's nothing you can do to make me love you more and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the, those those are words we can say and that, that kind of grace, we can live that out. Yeah, as, yeah, write it on your refrigerator. Write that on your refrigerator. You can always get a new refrigerator. You can't, you can't get a new kid. Yeah. And for a child to know that, that I am, I am not loved by what I do and what I don't do, but I'm loved because at the core of who I am, I am fearfully and wonderfully made mm -hmm. that when they know that, that, that there is somebody for me and they're not against me, mm -hmm. then, and we begin to look at behavior differently as a, as an, as, as an expression of those invisible issues now I'm creating that atmosphere of rest. I'm creating an atmosphere where somebody can relax. And I do that with my grandkids. I've got four grandkids. My daughter always comes to me and says, it's almost like you like them more than us. And I go, um, well, I do. No, I, I just do. And, and, but when, when my grandkids come to my home, there's no rules. I don't tell them you shouldn't have done this and you could do this better or, uh, you know, a, a little girl told me last week in a group meeting that I lead, she goes, the reason my dad came to my volleyball games is just so he could criticize me at the end of them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how sad is that? Yeah. You know, that, 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 that that's not the intent. The intent is to, to say, how do I come alongside and, and create an atmosphere? And so for my grandkids, it's come I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to, you can park anywhere you want. You can do anything. Now there's some basic rules, you know, I mean, flush the toilet and put up some stuff and junk like that. But for the most part, I want them to leave here knowing that they were loved. They were encouraged. Somebody listened to them. I didn't try to correct them. I don't have to do that. There's no consequences for things here. And I don't want them to walk all over us, but I create an atmosphere, a place of safety. When Jesus said, come to me, all are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your soul. Hmm. That's what I want to create is a hmm. place of rest. So anybody that walks in the doors at our house, I hope that they can rest. They can just, just yeah. decompress and rest. And in that, that creates an atmosphere where relationships can happen. And this is where the transfer of wisdom begins to happen as well. Hmm. Right. Because when they feel that rest, that safety, that sense of yep. belonging, they're able to also be real and genuine and yeah. feel safe to ask their questions. Yeah. Right. So that exactly. you can share your wisdom. Exactly. Um, yeah. I know one thing that I kind of, you know, just this one last thing I notice just as I'm reading through your stuff and I, I've watched some of your videos mm. with uh, some of your, the, the teens from, Heart light and kind of the changes that have happened in their life. And something I noticed about you, Mark, and what you talk about is this gentleness mm. that is about you. I was thinking about um, the verse in Philippians about let your gentleness be evident to all. And I was yeah. thinking, you know, maybe yeah. have we lost that ability to be gentle? And how does that 
impact our ability to parent well. I don't know. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it was just something that struck me as yeah. I was thinking and praying before this podcast. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I want kids to know that I love them. More than anything else, I want them to know that. I, I want them to know that I'm approachable. I want to move toward them. I, uh, uh, I want to engage with them. I want to hear their thoughts, everything. I, I, I want that. That's the number one thing I want them to get. But the second thing you have to know about me for all those naysayers out there that going, well, these kids are just running all over him. You need to know this. I don't tolerate anything. Mm -hmm. I don't tolerate anything. I mean, I just, I don't. And I believe in strong consequences for inappropriate behavior, mm. but that's not how I want to be known. I want to be known as a kind and gentle man that will listen and do anything for kids. I tell kids all the time, I owe you nothing. Mm. I want to give you everything, but I don't owe you anything. And so it's, it's a balance. Yeah. I mean, scripture talks about God being a, like a, a mother nursing her child, a tender mother nursing mm. her child. And at the same time, as God is a mighty warrior who will fight for us, well, that's what I want. But I want to be known as that tender one. But, but it's almost like, but I don't tolerate anything. And I think that brings about a sense of security that kids know that. And, and, but yet, the, what's going to win them over is not power. It's the love that that you have for one another that that is really going to change hmm. anybody I, I, a kid changes not because of authority they change because of a relationship hmm. that's the only reason they change and so that's what i'm going to work hard on to establish that with anybody with anybody whether i agree with their lifestyle or not hmm. i'm still going to try it you know and knowing that i can have that relationship hmm. Well, I think that's come out loud and clear uh, through this conversation is it really is all about relationship and yeah. um, investing in that with your teens and children. But, you know, I, I just I don't want to leave this conversation with without acknowledging that some people right now are just struggling. They're in the midst of yeah. this. Yeah, they're discouraged. They're feeling hopeless at the end of their rope. You know, can you offer some encouragement? Um, yeah. What encouragement would you like to give to those? People? Yeah, you know what? Conflict is a precursor to change. Huh. I mean, it, it, so oh, change yeah. is coming. I mean, it's just, it just is. When you're in the midst of the storm and it's scary, and I don't know about you guys up there, but I mean, we get these Texas, you know, frog chokers, uh, storms. I mean, they come running in. And, and the thing is, in the middle of it, I know in about an hour or so, it's going to pass and the sun's going to come out. And it's going to be wonderful. I mean, and, and so if you're in the midst of those dark clouds that are rolling in and the thunder is crashing around you and, and you can't see the sun and, and it's raining like crazy and, you know, and hail is coming down and, and uh, you know, doing, I, it will pass. It, it will pass. And, and there is something about it in the midst of it. Now you have the opportunity to figure out what do I want to do differently? And, and I, I tell people all the time, if, if, if you get stuck in that place where you feel a sense of hopelessness, participate in one of our family and crisis conferences. It's a, it's a, you can either come to Heartlight and, and come on campus for two days and, and it's limited to about 40 people, or you can get on a Zoom call and somebody goes, well, what is it called? Well, if you can't afford it, come anyway. You know what I mean? It's, you hear me speak somewhere and I tell people all the time, buy this book, you know, and but if you can't buy it, I'll give it to you. I mean, there's, 
I want people to know that there's resources out there that can help them through this time because we dealt with this with with this uh, just this difficulty and hardship that families go through where they feel a sense of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And at times they bring their kids to us and the kids are the ones that become hope filled and go, mm -hmm. you know what, I need this, I want this. And then, so as we kind of help reconstruct that family and, and help them in the process, they get to a better place. It changes the destiny of their family. Mm -hmm. And if they want some encouragement in that, go to our YouTube channel that's called Heartlight Stories. Mm -hmm. um, just get on YouTube, Heartlight Stories. And uh, it's stories of the kids that live with us. The guy who's the director of The Voice, uh, the, uh, the TV show, the, the musical TV show, mm -hmm. comes out and films me doing that. Then he produces and edits and does all that stuff just so that you can have a message of hope that's really communicated to these mm. kids as they make changes in their life. Wonderful. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So all of Mark's resources are in um, our show notes and yeah, if mm. you are feeling at the end of your rope, uh, we just want to encourage you to reach out to someone talk to someone um, about that. Don't, don't be, by, don't be alone in that because uh, find a friend to, to talk to. And um, yeah, and I would encourage you to read Mark's book and listen to the stories and some of the articles. I know yeah. they've helped me a lot and helped. Um, I haven't yet gone through a big crisis uh, in my family, but I know lots of families who have. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and this idea of leaning into relationship, of living it out, then talking it out, of listening, mm of um, approaching mm. things with gentleness and kindness and above all uh, loving our children no matter what um, when they're when they're in the good times and bad times are going to make the difference and you know also just experiencing the grace of God for ourselves reminding of our, ourselves of what he's done for us allows mm. us to show that grace to our children so thank you I Hopefully I summed that up somewhat. Any wonderful. <laughs> final remarks, Mark, for us? No, not, a, you know, <laughs> not at all. I, I think, you know, I think when people begin to realize that hopelessness is a temporary state and mm -hmm. uh, it's momentary, it'll pass. You'll get to a better place because your kids want to get to a better place. Your spouse wants to get to a better place. And hopefully you want to get there. And if you're tired and worn out, find a group that you can go talk to. I mean, not get up front, but just a group of other women or a group of men that can sit around and be genuine and honest with one another. And I think what you'll find is that everybody wrestles, everybody struggles, and there's a commonness there. And, and just knowing that somebody else is struggling through the same thing I'm struggling through is really an encouragement. And it does usher in that, that great sense of hope. That's great. Thank you so much, cool. Mark. It yeah. really was, is a pleasure to meet you and appreciate your wisdom Likewise. and joining us today. Thanks for listening to today's episode. There were a number of resources mentioned in this conversation, and we encourage you to check them out in the show notes on our website, where we have them all listed for you. And as always, remember that our team here at Fellowship Pacific is here to serve you and support you in whatever way you need. To get in touch with any of us, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.